good to be back with you after a week of vacation. I, I, hurt, I hurt for you today. I'm rested. I should have warned you to bring your five loaves and two fishes just to get through point one. I should have. It's good to be back home. We enjoyed some time away. Janine and I went to the big city of Wichita, Kansas. We don't like to travel far, but we get fascinated by a lot of things, and that's an interesting city with some good places to visit by way of museums. I got to hear your worship service last week. So grateful for, to Brother Kevin Cottrell. He is such a missions ambassador. And what he's done for our church and the kingdom during his tenure here is phenomenal. I wanted you to hear from him about all the marvelous things that you're doing, not only through your going, but through your giving. And he did that very, very well. And I'm very grateful to him and to you for your mission's heart. Today, speaking of missionaries, Steve Wolf has taken a group, and they're on their way to Columbia as we speak. We want to pray for them and ask God's blessings upon them. I also want to welcome to our congregation Scott, Scott and Marlin Pruitt. I don't know where y'all are. Can you just raise your hand? Let me know you're here somewhere. Anybody seen them? Are they here? Where are they? There they are, over here in the corner. It's good to see you all. Welcome home. Scott and Marlene, we're so glad you're back. I think you're glad to be back, actually. But we're really glad you're back. In case you wonder when the media all stands against you, you're probably doing good things. And obviously, he must have done really good, right? So, Scott, we appreciate all that you've done. Obviously, a lot of what we're enjoying today and new jobs in Oklahoma and, and more energy causes going forward in Oklahoma and around the nation, you did. You're a good soldier. And thank you for being faithful. We're just glad you're home here in Oklahoma today. It's good to have you all back. God bless you who you are and what you do. I just want to remind you real quickly that tonight we're going to have a special time at 5 o'clock. Now, if you come at 5, you're going to be late. Tonight's going, we're going to present the transition plan of how to move from my tenure to a new man coming in a couple of three years, maybe, uh, depending on how soon you're ready to get rid of me and how quickly the committee finds somebody. But the plan is to go forward for about two to three years to provide for transition time between my wrapping up now almost 32 years as your pastor, embracing a new pastor, and all that needs to happen within the church for that to happen smoothly. Don, Don Thompson met with me about 18 months ago to begin the process of putting that plan together. He formed a, a, a committee that worked with him, and boy, did they do an outstanding job, exceeding abundantly above what I could have asked or thought. And so tonight, this will be, a, I think, the fourth presentation. He's gone before the deacon body to the main staff. He's gone to our staff. He's gone to several different hearing groups. And so as he comes to you tonight, it's been refined and polished through others hearing it. And he wants to present it now to the church. Now, here's the deal. We've ordered 500 box lunches. So if you come late, you better come hungry. You better come ready to think first 500, get a box. Thank you all for understanding that principle because somebody in this room is going to have their lip pooched at 5.05 and say, I didn't get anything to eat. I'm going to say, you should have gotten here sooner. That's my mercy side. First 500 in the room get a box lunch, okay, because we didn't know how to count on who's coming. If you don't want to eat or you eat somewhere else, come on anyway. We'll have some extra chairs set up. And the presentation tonight will be given very fully. You'll have a chance at the close to ask questions, and we'll have something for your children and preschoolers. So we want everybody here. Uh, you haven't done this. We haven't done this in over three decades. So it'd be good to hear a little something about what's planned for you. And for you to know what's planned for you, I encourage you to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. 
I hope you have your Bibles. And if so, I want to invite you to open them to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to continue this marvelous study of John's book. John, as you know, is the only disciple that died of old age. All the rest of them were martyred, and it wasn't because they didn't try to martyr John. Tradition says he was boiled in oil. That means you put a man at the end of a pole the size of a telephone pole, dip him in a boiling cauldron of hot oil, and boil him. And I don't know how in the world he got out of there without dying, but he did. Then was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and literally died of old age. It was somewhere, he wrote the book of Revelation, somewhere between 90 and 100 A.D., if he was called as a disciple at, say, even 20, and he died at 90, 95 A.D., he would have been 95 years old. So that's a long, long time. So we want to, or 85 years old. So we want to listen to John as he talks to us about two things. John's two favorite words in 1 John are know and love. I think he never got over the fact I got to know Jesus. I really got to know Jesus. And the fact that he changed this old fiery son of thunder by his marvelous love. And so I want to remember and look back at chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And today our primary study is verses 13 through 18. John, 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. Look with me in verses 11 and 12. And then we're going to look today at verses 13 to 18. The Bible says, dear friends, if God loved us in this way. Now remember what he's just said in verse 10. We didn't love God, but he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation, the one to satisfy God's anger against our sin. So God loved us enough to provide for us somebody to take our sin away. Verse 11, if he loved us in this way, we also must. That's not a suggestion, it's a command. Because God's loved us, we must love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another... God remains in us and his love is perfected, meaning we will be the embodiment of the love of Christ by how we live. Verse 13. Now here's, two, here's another one of his favorite words. No. This is how we know that we remain in him. Some people say, how can I know that I'm a Christian? This is your text. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given to us from his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he remains in God. Verse 16. Now look at this, this passage on how many times you use the word love. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached per perfection in love. We love because God first loved us. The, there are many benefits to the love of Christ. Once we've experienced his love, the greatest calling is to give that love away. It's the one thing in the world that you don't have to have a booth and sell. You can give love away. You're not trying to do a fundraiser. I'll be good to you for $5 an hour if you'll be good to me. It's not that kind of bargain. He says, listen, how did you receive your love freely? How much did you get abundant? How often do you get it daily? How much do you need it eternally? He said, that's how much I want you to give it. 
What you receive, so give. What you know, talk to people about. Why? Because I'm walking in the love of God. And he said, you ought to love others. There's something happens with us the more we love. Love is not a, a bank account. It's a muscle. The more we love, the greater our capacity. Some of you amaze me. You run marathons. You say, I do it so I'll have a greater cardio capacity, a greater lung capacity, a greater strength capacity. You do it to stretch yourself to have an increased capacity to do physical things. The more we love people and the more we love God, the greater our capacity to love. A child loves to every nth degree a child can love. But if you're 60, 70, 80 years old and you still have the love of a five-year-old for God, something is wrong. The Bible says the more we love him, we increase in our capacity to love him. The more we love him, the more God's going to put people. Now, I don't like this either. I don't like this either, but it's true. The more we love him, the more he's going to put people in our path that are hard to love. Anybody want to give a testimony? Thank you. The more we love God, he's going to put unlovable people right in our path. Why? They need it most. The hardest people for me to love... People don't love me back. People ugly, mean, nasty, crude, rude. Cut me off in traffic. <laughs> I'm not known to get on my knees in the format and say, God bless that guy that just almost hit my front bumper. I do pray for him. Let locusts fall on his car and devour it. <laughs> that don't look spiritual. You do that. You know who's hard to love? The unlovely. But the Bible says the more we love God, the more we ought to be able to love the unlovable. Boy, has he given us a great opportunity in the 21st century. And the more we love the unlovely, the more we say, Christ, I, I, can't, I can't do this. Jesus, I can't, I can't do this unless you help me. God, forgive me for what I'm thinking about that person right now. I want to deck them, but you want me to love them. You're going to have to love them through me. And so it increases our faith as we increase our love. Even with all the assurances that Christ loves us and we are in Him and have abided in Him, there are a lot of people that really wrestle with that thing called eternal assurance. Now, there's one group that's just totally self-assured. They're presumptuous. Well, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, I, I, I saved when I was nine. Okay. Well, how do you know? I prayed the prayer. Okay. Well, I, I'm going. Okay. So the Bible says, if you pray the prayer, you shall surely enter. No, the Bible says it's so radical, you got to be born again. That's a total transformation. Some people have a self-assurance, not a Christ assurance. Secondly, some are perplexed and they have self-doubts. Every time I preach on assurance, I'll get an email from somebody saying, Brother Nick, the sermon Sunday was good, but it really troubles because I'm not sure. I just feel, many are filled with doubt. And then some are persuaded some are persuaded they're saved for the right reasons. They say, I know I'm saved. Brother Nick, here's what I was life, like, my life was like before Christ, and here's what it's like now. Only Christ could have changed me. Most often when we're asked, how can I truly know that I'm his, we need to look again at the Bible book. It says in verse 13, here's how we know. Look at verse 13, chapter 4. How, how can we know John? John, pretty good, reliable source, beloved disciple, part of the inner circle. John, you walk with Jesus. John, you are the beloved disciple. Verse 13, John, how can we know that we really his? He said, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given to us 
from his spirit. Now I want you to see what that means. Turn back to the gospel of John. Just keep your finger in 1 John. But turn back to the gospel of John chapter 14. What does it mean he gave us his spirit? I think sometimes we forget what he actually said and what he did when he was preparing to leave at the Last Supper. John 14, the gospel of John chapter 14. Look in verse 15. The Bible says, John 14, 15, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. How, how do we know we're Christian? Do you do what he says? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he said, when I'm going away, as I go back to heaven, I'm going to ask the Father, verse 16, and he's going to give you another, meaning one of the same kind as me, not heteros, but alos, one of the same kind as me, another counselor to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. Who is the Holy Spirit? The spirit of truth. So if he's the truth, what did Jesus say? Who is he? I'm the way, the truth so he's sending one like himself who is the truth the spirit of truth it's his spirit the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him but you do know him how John how can we know him he the spirit of God remains with you and he will be in you I will not leave you as orphans I'm coming to you in a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live, you're going to live. Verse 25, I have spoken these things to you that while I remain, uh, spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. And what's he going to do, John, to help us? He's going to teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Then look at John 16, verse 5. John 16, verse 5. Now I'm going away. This means, this. remember this is the upper room. They're going to leave here, go to Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested and crucified in the morning at 9 o'clock. John 16, 5. Now, I send, now I'm going away to him who sent me. Not one of you asked me where you're going. Yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit. What? Jesus said it's for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. It's to our benefit that he go away. Why would he say that? What if Jesus had chosen to remain on the earth in flesh for 2,000 years? So this morning we'd hear the news. Today Jesus is preaching a sermon again on Galilee in Israel. Today Jesus is preaching a sermon in Jordan at Petra. Today, Jesus is in Cairo, Egypt. You see, when he's in the flesh, he's trackable because he's confined to one capsule of clay. What did he say? It's necessary that I go away from you. If I don't go, the Spirit won't come. How, 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 much, how much limitation does a Spirit have? He said, it's important I go away. Verse 8, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The sin he's going to convict men of is they don't believe in me. How is it a lost man becomes saved? The Holy Spirit of God makes his heart miserable in conviction. And he either says, I surrender or I will not submit. He's convicted either way. He's going to convict the world about sin and righteousness and about judgment, about sin because they don't believe. Verse 10, about righteousness because he's going to realize, you know, Jesus really was a son of God. Isn't that what the centurion said at the foot of the cross? Truly, this was a righteous man. Why? He said, I've never seen anybody die like him. 
And then he says he's going to convict the world of righteousness. And then he says in verse 11, and he's going to convict, the Spirit's going to convict the world of judgment because the ruler of the world has been judged. And what does that mean? What's, what's the next big event on God's horizon? The rapture and the judgment. So he says it's important the Holy Spirit come. And so when we see in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, it says in verse 13, we know that we remain in him, we've, we have his spirit. And then in verse 14, we've seen and testify the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Now what's the problem? We have the spirit, but we don't always feel the assurance. Why? Because we live in a world that will tell you one thing and do something else that promises a lot but doesn't deliver that looks so good on the outside but on the inside is hollow and so we're warped we're jaded and we say I, I hear that but I, I don't I've never known that experience that's why the gospel is good news <laughs> in this world in this world you're going to be cheated why the prince of the power there is the ruler of this world but the ruler of the ages is the Lord God of glory and he is truth and what he says you can put in the bank and hold because not one jot or tittle of his word will pass away till every single word is fulfilled it is his promise sealed in blood and so when we read it we can say with some degree of Pardon me. We can say with a little degree of no. We can say with a complete assurance. God said it. That settles it. I believe it. I find it interesting. People sometimes have a hard time believing in God's grace because we still have a problem liking each other and say, if God really loved me as he says he loves me, why can't I love? Why, why am I so mean to? Why, why, why does that person really grate on me? And so sometimes it's our own sin that keeps us from loving his, him because we say, I still have this in me. Some in this room, in fact, probably all in this room, have some secret things that you say, Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. I don't know how in the world God could forgive me. And by the way, who is it keeps telling you how bad you are? Christ. Is it, does he keep saying, see, you're pretty sorry, right? Isn't that why he went to the cross? To remind you, you're just sorry, Right? No. Who, who is it's the accuser? Who is it's the adversary? Who is it likes to stumble? Who is it comes to kill, steal, and destroy even the consciences of men? Now let me tell you something. This good news. Not one of us here is as bad as the worst thing we ever did. Isn't that good? If you know Jesus Christ, I don't know what you did. And really, frankly, frankly, I don't care. You know why? Who am I to want to know what you did when Jesus said, if you'll confess your sin, I'm going to remove it and put it behind me, behind my back to be remembered no more. If it's in his city dump, why would I go digging? And why in the world do you get your spade and go digging? The Bible says we sometimes have a hard time believing because we indulge in sinful behavior, because we have unresolved guilt. But God's love through and through, and in him there is no darkness. There's not a God behind the God. I, I like this. When it says he's given us a spirit, someone wrote, Jesus does not give us an impersonal force. That's Star Wars and Hinduism. Jesus doesn't give us an impersonal force or another, another spirit like his. No. Jesus gives us, listen to this, Jesus gives us a share in his very own spirit. We belong to Him because we share in His very own Spirit. The very same Spirit Jesus has, we have. So our assurance comes from who God is and what He's done and from what we do, not from what we do or have done. The Spirit of God breathes life. He equips us and motivates us, empowers us and activates us. He restores moral and spiritual perception.
Well, how do we know that we share in the Spirit of God? The Bible says in verse 14, God has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses, it says in verse 14, whoever confesses, we have seen and testify, the Father sent the Son as the Savior. And verse 15, whoever confesses, Jesus is the Son of God. God remains in Him. Confession is not, I believe in Jesus, I think He's the Son of God, He saved me. Listen, I can program a robot. If I knew how, I'd probably get my computer to do it. Anything can say the phrase. This word of confession in the New Testament, they didn't have electronic devices. But what they had was people literally standing before another person saying, Are you a Christian? Many of those Christians who were persecuted would stand before the Roman judges. And because Caesar was worshipped as God... Now there was a threat. They said, these Christians worship a different God. Not the gods of Rome nor Caesar. They worship their own God that they say they cannot see. And they say he has a son and his name was Jesus and he's dead. We put him on a cross. So those first century Christians would stand before a Roman judge. In Latin they'd be asked, Kaiser Curios, Caesar's Lord. Christos Kurios, Jesus is Lord. How do you confess? It's real easy, and they say, I love Jesus, but then we're all among friends. Will you say it tomorrow when the guy gets to the office at 805, still hungover from tonight, and the first thing out of his mouth is the word Jesus Christ, and he's not praying? Are you going to do it tomorrow when somebody texts OMG to you, takes the name of God and turns it into a, a, a simple acrostic that we zip across email like that's just another name? How, how do you know he's in you? The Bible says he sent his son and he abides in us. And we confess, when we make the confession, I believe in Jesus and he's my savior, then it's binding. The true confession of Jesus it is, comes as a byproduct of new birth and shows the signs of spiritual transformation and, and the important and most important sign of its love. There are people, you know, it's amazing today. I don't see it as much as I used to. Maybe I'm just not in the right places. But some years ago, it wasn't hard in Elm or 71st, all these places. You'd see these people with a trunk open and have genuine fake Gucci bags. I always like that combination. Genuine fake Gucci. <laughs> Somebody help me. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, or, or the person, genuine fake Rolex watches. Excuse me, sir. Can, can you strike one of those words? I, I, I'm from Alabama. That confuses me. Genuine fake. Do you know there's people that profess to be genuine, but they're fake Christians? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't let that bother me. I, I, I did that a long time ago. And he loves me. The man upstairs knows me. I'm okay. Pardon me? If the angels cover their face in his presence, you talk about him like he's a chum? I, I, I know Jesus. Yeah, I know about God. I, I do. I know about him. I think we're okay. Listen, the demons tremble when they hear his name. And then you, 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 people say, I don't know Jesus. Then why do you take his name in vain? You know him. You know him. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever confesses, verse 15, that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he's in God. Now, look at verse 16 real quickly because this is the heart of it. Nine times 
Nine times he's going to talk about the love of God. I think it's on his heart. Verse 16, we have come to know. Now, when you, this whole passage, how can we know he abides in us? How can we know he's, we've confessed him as Lord? How do we know Jesus was sent by God to, to pay for our sin? Now John's making it applicable. Verse 16, here's how we come to know and to believe. Now look at this. I'm going to read it. Look at all the words, times the word love is used. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. And in this love is perfected, completed, matured. In this love is matured with us. We've grown up in his love so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are, we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. There's that word again. Instead, perfect love, mature love, drives out fear because fear involves punishment if we're not fearful of punishment we have no reason to be fearful of God that's what he's saying because fear involves punishment so the one who fears has meaning fears the day of judgment fears standing before God the one who fears has not reached perfection in his love we love because he first loved us how is it we cannot fear fear is not what he means here is fear of it's crippling now, he doesn't mean here you're so familiar with God, you don't walk up and say, hey, been waiting to see you. No, 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 no. I'll tell you the first thing we're going to do. We're going to fall on our face in awe. That, that's the first thing. But it's not fearful. We don't fall on our face because we're terrified. He's going to kill me for sure because my sins are enormous. They are enormous. That's why I took a cross to pay for them. They are enormous. That's why it took somebody the caliber of Jesus to cleanse my record. They are enormous. That's why it took the Lamb of God to offer himself for the likes of me. My sins are enormous and deserving the complete wrath of the Almighty that he poured out on a cross in Jesus Christ. So why do I follow my face? Because suddenly seeing the splendor of the one I've only talked to and read about and known only in my heart as my Savior, suddenly I'm face to face with the power of the potentate of the whole universe in the splendor of His majesty and the glory of His throne room surrounded by the angels chanting, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty in a brightness of light so strong my eyes cannot behold it and the angel covers theirs, cover, uh, angels cover theirs to keep from looking on His glory and suddenly I'm going to be with all the saints of all the ages overwhelmed that we've made it into his presence and we're standing before the glory of the one that had the glory of God before the foundation of the world and standing in the splendor of the majesty of the glory of the almighty my knees buckle my arms shake my mouth quivers in its tongue for who am I to stand in the presence of the almighty in my in my in my humanity Except I'm covered not by the flesh of Nick Garland, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and filled with the Spirit of God so that not only have my sins been paid, the earnest and the seal of God has held me from the day I was saved in Humboldt, Tennessee as a boy and carried through this world of life to be presented faultless before the Lamb, not based on my merit, but rejoicing in His mercy that allowed me to stand as a child of the Almighty in His presence. Is that not splendor? 
That's what we've got waiting. We drop to our knees because we're overwhelmed. The Bible says he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. I'm confused. I thought at every funeral we talk about the fact there are no tears in heaven. There is no sorrow there. There is no pain there. Why is he wiping away tears? It's that first moment. Have you ever stood in something that's so beautiful, so spectacular, or heard music that's so grand that it stirs the very chords of your soul? And in that moment, you've got your hands raised, your eyes focused on the glory of God, and tears start running down your cheeks, not because you're weeping, you're overcome. And I think when we see the splendor of God's glory, we're going to be overcome. We're going to begin to weep. He says, no, that's the old world. Up here, we're fully rejoicing. Come here, come here, Nick. You don't need those up here. You're going to come to be acclimated to your new home. Welcome. How can you know you're a child of God? Do you have a clear place where you earnestly turned over the authority of your heart to someone else named Jesus? I, I don't mean you went through a mantra and said some words and got up and said, well, good, I, I've done that. No, 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 I mean that was so life-transforming. You said, I left my past there, and today I walk new in Him. Some years ago, when I was a very young man, there was a young man preaching frequently at youth meetings named Rick, St- Rick Stanley. Rick Stanley. Rick tells a story and did then often at youth meetings where I would get to go and take youth or be there to speak to a group. And I remember Rick telling a story when he was, he, 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 his family, his mama literally took in his brother and put him out at a quick trip or something, the equivalent thereof one time, told him to go to the bathroom. When they came out, their mom and daddy were gone. They abandoned them. They left them. And little boys were so small, they didn't know who mama's name. They didn't know the car they had. They didn't know anything. And so somebody, some way, and I'd forgotten that part of the story, but some way the word got to a family named Presley. It was the mother of Elvis. And Rick said, when the Presleys heard about the needs of these boys, their hearts were broken, and they made a call and said, we'd like to adopt them. And Rick said, it was amazing. I had nothing, and I'd never had anything. And for your mama to drive off and leave you in a parking lot doesn't give you any sense of anybody loves you. And he said, suddenly... I got to this home at night. We were adopted, and the Presleys took us to a home. He would find out later it was Graceland. And so we pulled in this gate, and they took us up to a bedroom. It was dark, and we didn't really see much. And she tucked us into bed, and I remember going to sleep that night wondering, what, what, what's this home going to be like? And the next morning when we awakened, we went down to this massive breakfast, and we'd never seen so much to eat. And they said, whatever you want, you can have. If that's not what you want, we'll fix it. He was overwhelmed. When they finished laying, Elvis took them out back. And Rick said, I remember seeing two bicycles and two skateboards and two baseball bats and two baseball gloves and two baseballs and two basketballs and two footballs and two basketball goals. And I saw all this stuff laid out and said, I just stood there and my brother stood there. And they said, well, go ahead and play with it. No, no, ma'am, that's not ours. 
She said, yes, it is. No, no we, don't, we, don't, we don't have any of that. We didn't bring any of that. I said, I know, but we bought it for you. No, ma'am, you don't know me. My mama coming back, she just left me. No, I'm your new mama. And Point Elvis, this is your brother. And he's bought all that to give to you because he loves you and you've been adopted. Rick said, I didn't run over and start playing. He said, I started weeping. He said, I remember as a little boy thinking, how can this be? My mama left me yesterday and we had nothing. And I spent last night in a clean bed and a clean house and I woke up this, woke up this morning to a marvelous breakfast and I step outside and all this is mine. He said, I don't deserve any of this. I can't take this. He said, yes, you can. You've been adopted by the king. It's all yours. <laughs> you know what you're looking at? An animated piece of dust. 67 years worth. I once was an alien, an outcast on earth, a, a, a sinner by choice and a, a, a stranger by choice and a sinner by birth, but I've been adopted. <laughs> My name's written down. I'm an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. Why are you going to have tears in heaven? I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I, I can't receive all this. It's too much for me. God said, I didn't make it for you. I made for you to live in my house. Welcome to my house, because I made all this to demonstrate my glory. Welcome to my home. How do you know? Look at this. Bible says we know because we believe, verse 16, the love that God has for us. God's love. And the one who remains, verse 16, in that love remains in God. Where, do you, where, where are you living? What's your address? The one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him, and in this love is matured. Have you grown any since you said, Jesus, will you forgive me? How old were you when you said that? Jesus, will you come in my heart? How old were you? Have you matured in your love for Christ? Have you matured in your spiritual faith? Have you matured in your understanding and comprehension of all that is yours through Christ Jesus, your Lord? In this love is perfected, he said, verse 17, with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. How, how can we have confidence? <laughs> because I've already stood in my judgment. Do you understand for every Christian we've already had our day of judgment? Do you, do you understand that? See, some people are fearful of the great white throne judgment out there somewhere. You'll be there, but not on trial if you know Christ. But because when I heard the gospel and I heard what I'd done to him and how I'd rejected him and how I'd betrayed him and how I did not live up to what he wanted me to be in creation and how I'd sinned against his law and I'd rebelled against his will and I'd done what I wanted... He said, Nick, you deserve to die. I said, I, I don't d disagree with that. Nick, do you understand the wages of sin is death? Yes, sir, I, I understand that. You should die. Yes, sir, I remember my dad preaching his finger was six feet long when he'd point. And it was cocked and aimed at me most of the time. God loves you. Baptist preachers used to get loud. 
I've been known to. God loves you, but God hates sin. For the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. Boy, every time he'd say that, my heart would just shake because I said, I'm guilty. I knew I was guilty. So I agreed with God. I said, Father, what I deserve is death. I'm a sinner. There's no reason you should let me into heaven. He said, no, in your marriage, you're absolutely right, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. I've sent my son, he said in verse 15. Whoever confesses, the Father sent the Son, the world is the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses, Jesus, Son of God, remains in him. I said, Lord, I have no hope in myself, but I've heard my daddy say that you love me, and Jesus died to pay for all those sins I committed, all those attitudes that I've had, all those words I've said that were vile, all those moments I wanted to hurt somebody bad, those times I jumped on people to hurt them bad as a boy. I, I, I agree, God. I'm worthy of your wrath. I don't have anything in my hands I can offer you. Nothing in my life you can use right now. But if you'd forgive me, I sure would be grateful. And I'm going to trust you and serve you if you'll let me. You know what Jesus did? He took all of my sin. I don't understand this. I'm a daddy and a granddaddy and I don't understand. I preached it. I preach it but I don't get it. It, it, it pleased God, pardon me, it pleased God to put on Jesus the sins of us all. You ever cursed? You ever hated somebody? You ever done somebody wrong on purpose? You ever lusted? You ever cheated? You ever stolen? You ever lied? You ever said, oh my God, you weren't praying? You want me to keep the list going? No, because we don't have time. And when I said, Jesus, can you possibly forgive the likes of me? He said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost, Nick, and offer my life a ransom for many because it pleased my Father to put on me the sins of the world and all who would believe in me could receive that ransom. I'll pay for you if you'll let me. And I remember tears running down my cheeks. My daddy's sitting right here kneeling by me, kneeling beside me as I sat on my bed. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to do the best I can. I'm a sinner. I want to ask you to forgive me. I accept your punishment because I deserve it. But I believe you gave my punishment to Jesus because he was willing. It's too great for me to pay. So I confess I deserve your wrath on the day of judgment because I'm a sinner. I deserve the worst. Because that's what I am. I don't deserve any mercy. Because I, 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 mercy is something given to people that, that can do something with it. God, I'm not sure I can follow you like I want to follow you. But if you could find it in your heart to forgive the likes of me, here I am. 
I believe you poured out my day of judgment on the cross on the hill called Golgotha. And I believe all the fury of God's wrath was unleashed on your son by the way we treated him on the cross in the pre-cross treatment. But I believe the power of God raised him from the dead to give eternal life to all who believe in him. And Lord Jesus, I put my sins on you believing you paid my price in full. And today I'm going to leave those behind me and I want to take Jesus into my life. And I want you to take control of me. And from this day forward, I want to walk straight toward you. And you know what he said? Come. Like Rick Stanley. I didn't jump up and shout. I laid there and cried. When I realized that what he had done for me. I don't know if you study history much, but you may remember the name Lafayette. Lafayette was the great French leader that helped us win our war of independence against Great Britain. 1783, Lafayette went home and the land of his homeland, France, had been ravaged with a blight and many, many people were going to be hungry because their fields had been destroyed with a blight and with crop failure. Lafayette's land, his massive estate, was basically untouched and he had not only grain in the field, he had grains in his bins and he, he was set. A friend came to him and said, Lafayette, now's the time to make up for all those war losses. You just need to open your bins and your fields and start selling that grain and they'll pay whatever you ask. You can go, you, you can be rich many times over in this moment. Lafayette just kept thinking of the poor people he had seen in America that had been through the ravages of war and then came back to his own homeland and saw the look of faces of people lost everything in their fields. His bins were full, his fields were full. Lafayette thought of the faces of the children and the people that so needed food. He said to his wealthy friend, this is no time to sell. It's the time to give. You know what God saw when he saw you and me? Destitution. Death. Waste. Sin. Loss. Ravage. Destruction. Blight. Separation. Despicable. Make them pay. Make them pay. They did it. They chose to sin. Make them pay. Jesus says, not the time. I'll offer my life to pay. A ransom for many. Did I tell you the verse? God so loved the world. Who wrote that? John. That he gave, didn't make us pay, he gave. What's it cost? It cost him his life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him doesn't have to be destitute forever. Doesn't have to go into eternity as an orphan. Doesn't have to stand up there by himself, standing before God. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. But because of Jesus Christ, God's one and only begotten Son, can have eternal life. I feel like Rick Stanley.
I woke up to a brand new world. And all that the Father has is mine and yours through Christ Jesus our Lord. Stand with me, would you? Do you know? I, I don't, I'm not asking, do you think? Do, do, do you know? Do you know for sure there's that time and place when you say, I know that I gave my life to Christ. I know that there's that moment of transformation that's so significant. You say, I, I fully know the day I trusted him. I, I know for sure I'm changed. I know he changed me. Please don't waste eternity. If you want to think so, maybe so, hope so, wish so. If I ask you if you're married, you don't say, I think so. You say, I know I'm married. If I ask you a father, you don't say, I think so. You say, no, I, I know I'm a father. I know I'm a mother. Then I want to ask you, do you know that you're a child of God? This whole passage is dealt with, here's how you can know. Here's how you can know. Why? Because God's not trying to play games with us, make it a secret. His desire is that none perish, but all could have eternal life. That means you and me. If you know him, then would you pray for that person beside you and behind you and in front of you and the one two rows back, three rows in front, and say, do you know, God, I pray that these in front of me and beside me and behind me, that they know you for sure. Maybe you're sitting by somebody that doesn't know, and maybe you just touch their hand and say, do you know, are you sure? I'll go with you, and we'll tell a pastor, and you can settle it. You know, sometimes it just takes that gentle touch of a friend to move a person from where they are to where they long to be. Are you that kind of a friend? If you don't know Christ today, please don't leave the room in that state. It's not doing you good now. It's sure not going to do you good forever. If you don't know Christ, church has to be a wrestling match for you because you feel the Spirit of God tugging at you, and yet you've not yet surrendered. Will you do it now? Will you say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that, and I want to trust you today. If that's the desire of your heart, I'm going to ask you just step out from where you are and come stand right here in front of me. Pastors are here. They're in the room. If they're here, you come to the altar. If you say, I, I want to know Jesus, just come and stand here in the altar. Maybe you're one of those who say, I came today to join the church. Step out right now. Just come and stand here in the altar. Maybe you said, I just need to come pray. Come right now while our heads are bowed. We're about to sing. Come right now while our heads are bowed and just kneel and do business with God. You don't need a cheerleader. The Holy Spirit of God's working on you. You just do what he tells you and it'll be right. Father, deal with us today according to your mercy. Draw us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.